Welcome to another episode of the Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik. I'm joined by Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian Wilkes. We don't have time for elaborate intros this week. We're getting straight into stuff. So you love to see it. Let's let's do it. Sam, what did you love to see this week? I loved to see this week a number of players score their debut W League goals. And all these players also happened to be on the winning teams, which made it even better. So we saw a debut goal for uh, Mackenzie Hawksby from Sydney FC. She scored the the penalty um, against Western Sydney in the return derby, which was amazing. She had a fantastic game as well. We saw Harriet Withers for Melbourne City score in the derby, the Melbourne derby. Um, She's had a great start to her season and it's really good to see her finally get off the mark. And we also saw a debut goal to Fiona Wirtz from Adelaide United um, in order to to get one up against Perth Glory again. So it's just, yeah, it's awesome. I'm like, <sighs> technically Claudia Bunge from Melbourne Victory also got a debut goal, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm trying to delete it. Anyway, it's been great to see a bunch of players score their debut goals for, for their various clubs in the dub. Uh, you love to see it. Moving right along. Anna, what did you love to see this week? I love to see um, Alex Chidiak make her first start in the W League since returning and absolutely thriving. She scored the opening goal, really a nice bit of awareness to pick up the loose ball and just put it past Gabby Garten. Um, was sort of involved in spurts throughout the match, but when it counted, she was there. Um, slipped through this amazing ball for Harriet Withers, who got mentioned before, to score the winner. And... Uh, yeah, just a fantastic performance first start. Rado Vidasic absolutely buzzing with uh, what she could create and thinks there's more and more to come. So Alex Gdiak showing us what she's got. You love to see it. She was so, so good. And Angela, what did you love to see this week? Uh, not strictly Australian, but, I mean, I watched the game um, and I loved to see Lauren James, um, James's goal for Manchester United in their game against Chelsea, um, which was last night Australian time um she came on at half time and it was just she takes on a bunch of defenders and then it just I don't you just have to go watch it because it's so beautiful the way that it just curls in right out of Anne-Katrine Berger's reach in the bottom right corner it perfect shot and unfortunately for Casey Stoney and me and you they didn't win that game but yeah really really classy goal and it was one of her first touches of the game as well so love to see that it really was a great goal and we'll definitely give it a retweet. But it's a, a fitting that we mention Man United and that goal and that game because we'll start our FAWSL chat right there with the Chelsea Man United game. Chelsea ended up taking the win 2-1. It was it was an interesting game and it was big in the context, I suppose, of the title race. Angela, you watched the match. You were all over it. What did you make of the game as a whole? It was just, I think it was just fantastic viewing all round. Um, One thing that did stand out, I guess, if you just watch the first 15 minutes of the game, you can see that Sam Kerr's getting involved a lot. She had a few chances um, as well. And throughout after that, you can see her connect with Kirby, which goes off what we were talking about last week with their partnership, which is awesome to see. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I think it was just a real, I mean, Chelsea were obviously the more dominant side I, I felt, but you could see that Manchester United did perhaps lack that little spark that, um, Tobin Heath. Tobin Heath. 
that Tobin Heath brings, um, the commentator talked about that a lot. Um, what's Tobin Heath up to? She wasn't in the warm-up, but she's on the bench, but she's not wearing boots. Anyway, she wasn't playing. I think she got a knock, so they were just playing it safe there. Um, but, yeah, I think I'm really glad um, that I watched the full 90 minutes and would highly recommend if you have some spare time doing the same um, as, yeah, I think it was a standout game. And uh, I think also – I was happy with either side winning as well. I think in terms of the narrative of this year's FAWSL, um, yeah, both put in really great performances there. Uh, but, yeah, but Fran Kirby strikes again, and I think it's really just going to be her season from here on out. She's performing brilliantly. So, yeah. I think one thing from the Australian point of view is um, – and. One of my colleagues at AAP, Ian Chadband in London, reported on this. Sam Kerr missed four chances in the first 20 minutes. Um, and I guess early in her career at Chelsea, she was pretty wasteful. And I guess that popped up again today. Um, Frank Kirby actually went into bat for her pretty quickly and just said they get a really good vibe off each other. And she knows if she puts the ball in the right areas, Sam's going to get on the end of them. She's a confidence player. We need to make sure we get around her and not put too much pressure on her because there's a lot of pressure on her coming in. Um, she's a massive player for her and we have to make sure we keep her head in a good spot. So that's um, I thought that was quite interesting that she's straight away gone in and looked to defend Sam, who's probably copped a little bit of criticism throughout, but had been in super form, like sparkling form for Chelsea, um, which I think just shows where this team's at in terms of it's so star-studded and they know that some weeks it's going to be Sam Kerr that scores, other weeks it's going to be Frank Kirby, um, Peniel Harder or other players chipping in here, there and everywhere, Beth England, like, I like that there is that sort of real goodwill. We've talked before about how cutthroat Europe and um, top teams can be, but Chelsea seem to have this this really good connection there, especially between um, Kerr and Kirby, which we talked about last week. Um, I'd be inclined to give Sam Kerr a little bit of a pass this week anyway. Look at how disruptive these past couple of weeks have been for teams. We know their last game, well, they've had a game moved because of um, COVID. COVID situations had nothing to do with them. The whole FAWSL, I think, has probably been on edge for these last couple of weeks. Um, so I'm probably willing to give her a, a bit of a pass for that. But I just really like to see that Frank Kirby, who sort of has built into the season herself, um, in her interview you know, about her being the match winner, has been asked about Kerr and has made a point of saying, you know, we've got to help her out. She helps us out. I can back her in to finish generally. And she's a confidence player and we've got to look after her. So yeah, I was a big fan of of seeing that um, sort of response and I think it sums up what Chelsea are about. They've shown that they're selfless. You only need to look at that COVID situation with Dubai to to see that and it's paying off. I think this is the I mean this is the game that most people were looking forward to, you know. It was the real top of the table clash. That's how it felt. And I think it it you know, it showed that. It really paid off. You know, it was a fantastic game. But even then, despite that, the fact that Chelsea should have been three or four goals ahead within half an hour shows just where they're at in terms of their squad and the ability that this squad has. You know, the fact that Kerr wasn't able to finish them off is the only thing that meant that Chelsea didn't run away with it. I don't think Manchester United could have come back from something like that. Um, but the thing that I loved about Frank Kirby's goal was that it was very Sam Kerr-esque. Mm. It was like, it was Anne Catherine Berger absolutely hoofing the ball over halfway on the first bounce and Kirby just like barging aside, I think it was Amy Turner, and just getting in behind and, and slotting the ball past the goalkeeper. Like, like 
talk about Kerr learning stuff from her teammates. I think teammates are starting to learn stuff from Sam Kerr as well. So, yeah, it was a it was a really great match. It was absolutely fizzing. Uh, it would have been great to see Tobin Heath there as well. I think Tobin Heath missing was a, a really crucial um, part of why Manchester United perhaps didn't look as threatening going forward. Um, she's been really, really significant in terms of her stats accumulated over the season, in terms of her chance creation, her assists, things like that. Um, and so her not being in that side, I think, really affected them in that regard. The other thing that I really loved about this game is that it was the battle between two female managers, two of, I think, the the best managers that the league has seen this season so far, uh, two managers who, just judging from the way that their teams have been playing, are absolutely world-class. And you saw that in the game. You saw the way that they managed the game, the way that they managed their players, and it's just like the, the respect that they have for each other. You saw that at after the final whistle. Like that is so inspiring to see. And Sam, I love that I think they're clearly two managers who their players would absolutely run through walls for. Fully, yeah. Um, I think so often when we talk about female coaches, uh, I think the queries are often relate to that sort of thing. And I think whether they can motivate in the same way or get players up and about the same way. And I think if you had people ask that, you just have to direct them to this game or to any of those two teams' performances because clearly the Manchester United players would do anything for Casey Stoney. It's the same with Emma Hayes at Chelsea, who just shows her players all the patience and love and occasionally um, a clip um, in the world. And her players respond to it. Like these players respond to these two managers and – you know, on this occasion, it was Emma Hayes who's won out and probably could have won out by more. But I agree, it was so um, fantastic to see. I'm glad you mentioned the the two women coaches because the thing I loved about that was I realised this maybe an hour before we started recording and it was just so not a big deal. Like none of the coverage in the lead up to this game was, oh, two female coaches, amazing. It was just top of the table clash, really exciting, two undefeated teams, happen to be coached by women. So I think that's something that's really awesome. And it's just so not a big deal in the FAWSL like throughout. There are so many female coaches in the league. So they're obviously doing something right. And I reckon that's something we will talk about in a different episode because it's definitely worth a chat. But since we're on the topic of women coaches, we should talk about Tanya Oxtoby and Bristol. So Bristol did not have a good day out. They lost 4-0 to Everton. But Tanya Oxtoby wasn't on the bench, but for a really good reason. Sam, do you want to explain why it was actually kind of good that she wasn't on the sideline this week? Yeah, so Tanya Oxtoby uh, is pregnant and she has just taken maternity leave. So she uh, is going to take some time out of the league in order to give birth to her baby with her partner. And as a result of that, Bristol have brought in ex-West Ham manager Matt Beard. Uh, and that's, I think it's it's a an interesting move. I'm not sure that something like this has ever happened in the league before, uh, but I'd be really curious to see actually what happens after Oxtoby returns, if she returns, um, because Oxtoby hasn't been doing particularly well at Bristol, and you would imagine that the club is probably starting to consider a similar kind of decision to what West Ham and what Tottenham have done over the last month or two in sacking managers who've been underperforming. Um, it's looking pretty likely now that Bristol are going to be relegated and I think Oxtoby 
despite, you know, all the issues with resources and things, you know, she she does have a role to play in that. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be really curious to see whether Matt Beard can turn things around for Bristol. Perhaps what they need is an injection of energy, some new ideas, um, some new sort of dynamics, some new philosophies there. Um, I mean, Bristol won their Conti Cup game against Aston Villa this week. It was a it was a pretty good performance by them as well, and they've got one of the most exciting young strikers in the league in Ebony Salmon. She had an absolutely cracking game then too. Um, so yeah, I'd be really interested to see how how Beard does in this interim role and whether if he turns things around for Bristol and actually makes them competitive because they're really not that far off getting out of the relegation zone compared to a couple other clubs, but whether the club might actually look at Beard and say, you know what, we want you to continue doing this and uh, Tanya Oxtoby can perhaps have a little bit longer with her new bub. Oh, guys, um, I'll just mention this now because it looks like it's breaking and it'll be out by the time we um, this pod goes out. Um, apparently Phil Neville is to step down as head coach of England women with immediate effect. Um, Good. So they're going to have to... The FA is going to have to pick an interim head coach to lead the Lionesses um, in February in that international window because Serena Vargas still with the Dutch national team. Mm. Um, I wonder who that We know that Phil Neville is off to the MLS um, with David Beckham's team. So, yeah, we've we've booted this before. We probably don't need to go into too much depth. It's kind of confirming something we already know. But, yeah, it's been made official, Phil Neville, as Moose would say. See ya. <laughs> Yeah, all right, so we're breaking news on the pod again, but let's just quickly wrap up FAWSL chat. So we also had Reading and Arsenal draw 1-1. Angela, what did you make of that game just briefly? They de- you, the Arsenal deserved it. They had what's coming to them. This is a follow-on from last week. This is just all my personal beef about Dubai Gate coming out. I don't have actually any opinion. Any thoughts or onions on the game? All right. Anyway, so the rest of the round's results, we had Man City absolutely trounce Aston Villa 7-0. We had uh, Birmingham and Brighton draw 0-0. And then we had uh, another Aussie derby in uh, West Ham and Tottenham. Tottenham came away with the win. Alana Kennedy is still playing in midfield. Uh, Emily Van Egmond seems to be playing up quite forward she had a few good chances but couldn't convert um but yeah so that's FAWSL we need to keep things moving we've got lots to chat about so let's get into the W League uh we had our full complement of games which is always a nice thing to see but we will start with the Sydney Derby. It was a, a Derby heavy round, so we had the the Sydney Derby first up. Sam, you were at the game. How how was it? What did you make of it? The game itself um, was pretty good. I thought Western Sydney responded to their first Derby loss uh, pretty well in the first maybe twenty minutes. You know, they they were really well organised. They were really well structured. Um, they really made it difficult for Sydney to create any clear chances. It was a really nice battle in midfield between some of those players. But uh, they just capitulated. And I think one of the big issues was the loss of Caitlin Cooper 
uh, Wanderers captain, centre-back, because after that happened, it just seemed like the Wanderers, uh, their heads dropped a little bit. They lost a little bit of um, confidence. They lost a little bit of understanding with each other. And bringing on Nicola Orgill in place of Coops, um, who hadn't played yet, uh, this was her debut. She came on in centre back, which she can play in, which I think she did well in, but she's naturally more of a fullback. I think that sort of made it difficult for them. Um, and Sydney, I think their 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 title credentials were pretty well uh, sort of announced at, uh, in that second half in particular. I thought they were excellent. Mackenzie Hawksby, I thought, was outstanding. Uh, she's been one of those sorts of players that we haven't talked about really, but she has started every game that Sydney have played so far. She's been, she's done her job in there, you know, really, really well. And there was an absolutely sensational pass um, in, I think, the second half to set up one of the goals. Oh my God, there's a cockroach on my legs. <laughs> Just Sydney things with Sam. Oh my God! <laughs> Fucking cockroach. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. I've completely forgotten what I was saying. Um, One more thing. I spoke to Princess Sabini before the derby and asked her about what we've been banging on about, which is um, young players getting their opportunity. And she's been one of those players, um, obviously, that's playing more as a starter rather than off the bench. And it was just a quote that I love that I thought I'd share with you guys, which was um, from Princess Sabini, which said, it's definitely been a season for younger players and you can see that. No one's playing with any fear, really. The young players are just going out there and doing their thing. And I think that's kind of reflected the start to the season that we've seen. I'll, I'll, um, yeah, we'll put up the a link to that article with Princess Sabina did for AAP. But I love that. It's just simple. It's um, what we want to see, these players having such a good time. And it ties into what you were saying about debut goals as well, Sam. It's just these players enjoying themselves and being out there and loving it and not worrying that they're going to stuff up and therefore playing with that trepidation. It's, um, it's been really, really exciting to see. I thought Courtney Vine had an excellent game as well. And obviously Teresa Pelias, an absolute machine in midfield, dictated play, um, really level head. It, like Princess Abini again, storming game. She won the penalty that Mackenzie Hawksby scored. Like everything about Sydney this season just feels so good. They just look and play so well together. They understand each other so well. So, yeah, it's. Um, I feel bad for, for Western Sydney because I thought their game against Newcastle was quite good. I thought they showed much more promise against uh, Sydney in the sort of opening half hour, but things just sort of went against them um, ultimately in the end. So, yeah, but, I mean, the, the biggest talking point to come from that game, which I vaguely tweeted about was the crowd in the sense that there wasn't one really you know um I don't know why the the Sydney women's derby was scheduled after the men's I'm assuming it had something to do with broadcasting um the men's Sydney derby was the ABC game at five o'clock and I think the Sydney women's derby was already scheduled to go afterwards anyway and perhaps it was a good opportunity to experiment and and see whether there would be a big crowd to hang around for it, for the women's derby, but it didn't. You know, there were 15,000 people there for the men's game and I think the official number that came out at the end of the women's was um, less than 2,500. So that's a really significant drop-off and 
I've never really been sold on the idea of doubleheaders generally, regardless of whether women play first or second. Um, I think there are other ways in which you can attract mainstream or casual or men's fans. And I don't think it requires women playing in enormous stadiums that are almost empty, uh, which affects the atmosphere. It affects the product on TV. And the other thing as well is that after I, I tweeted the photos of the crowd when I was sitting in the media box, I had quite a lot of people respond to me saying that um, doubleheader days are really exhausting. You know, you're, you're in a stadium for six hours or something mm. for two games of football. Like that is a long, long time. And given the crowd uh, the, or the, the demographics of the W League tend to be sort of younger families, younger people who have lives to live, you know, they're not going to want to hang around a stadium for six hours to watch two games, particularly not one that, you know, there's going to be hardly any people at in the first place. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a lot more to say about it and I'm, I'll probably address it again towards the end of the season once we had, have some more um, data about other doubleheaders that are scheduled over the season. But, yeah, I'm not really sold on it. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Sam. I think it's an ongoing thing. We know they're long days, as you say, Sam, especially if you've got, um, got young kids or whatever with you, which yeah, it's it's a re- it's a reality. Like a lot of people have kids, or they have other things going on, and it's a big commitment. Um, ultimately, some people aren't going to be interested in women's football. I think that's something we have to accept from these doubleheaders. Like we've tried playing them before the men, tried playing them after the men. A lot of people still don't want to hang around. Um, the big pro that I guess comes with the doubleheaders is access to access to good facilities and stadiums. Um, which is kind of, I think, a little bit offset by the fact that you're going to have the, as you said, Sam, relatively empty big stadiums, which isn't a good look. You get good pitches and you tend to get good facilities. You tend to get a better broadcast experience, I think, because you have the, the double header with Fox slash ABC involved as well. Um, but I'm not sure if all these things are worth it. I think a lot of those factors you could address elsewhere, like play the women's standalone games at grounds, consistent home grounds with better pitches, with better facilities. Like you don't have to have a doubleheader to have that. Um, I think you can still drum up support by having, say, Melbourne City and Sydney FC A-League play one day and then the W-League play the next or vice versa. I think you can still pump up a, you know, like grand final rematch weekend or something like that. At the end of the day, I just prefer the vibe at standalone games. Um I think doubleheaders have had their place and I think they'll continue to go on and be some doubleheaders every year because I think that's just part of where things are at. But I would love to see more and more standalone at smaller grounds because I think we've seen it's the way forward in uh, the WBBL and the cricket. Um, I think it's been shown it's the way forward with the AFLW, particularly when those games get played ahead of men's preseason games (laughs) um, in doubleheaders. And I think it's probably the way in, in football too that standalone games are just going to be better and you've got a crowd that wants to be there, that's engaged. And uh, the other thing as well is doubleheaders often tend to be more expensive. I know you're getting two games, but to go to the A-League is often more expensive than to go to the W-League. So if you just want to see the W-League, you might not necessarily want to fork out for the A-League as well. Or sometimes the teams don't line up, like it might be uh, – a City victory W-League game and then Melbourne City A-League. And if you're a victory fan, maybe you don't want to stick around to see City play Adelaide or whoever. Just picking random teams there. But, 
yeah, there's just a lot that I think doesn't necessarily line up with having the best possible experience as a spectator. Uh, moving right along with uh, more dub chats. So we had Perth and Adelaide uh, facing each other again in the sequel because apparently it was just a, a round of sequels and it was, I think it was a game that really touched on a lot of topics and themes that we've been talking a lot about your your young players and there was one player in particular that I think we were all really impressed by in Emily Condon who would like to I suppose talk about her performance and just Adelaide's wider game. Yeah Emily Condon was outstanding and she has been outstanding for all of Adelaide's games so far this season. Um, people probably remember, like, Emily Condon is a name that has been around for quite a long time, but she's only 22. Like, this is wild to me. So I, I when I was researching Emily Condon for my column this week, she started in the league when she was 15. You know, she did the she did the Sam Kerr thing. She started in the league when she was super young. This was 2014, before people were really starting to pay any attention to the W League. But her real breakout season was actually a year after she dropped off the radar. So she got quite sick when she went to represent the young Matildas overseas. She caught uh, a bug, a flu, and that turned into a really serious virus. That took her out for an entire year. Uh, But she came back in 2017-18 and absolutely blitzed it. That was the year that she was selected and capped for the first time for the senior Matildas at the uh, Algarve Cup in Portugal in 2018. Um, but she sort of, again, drifted sort of away from the radar in terms of national team conversations a little bit since then. But her performances so far in midfield for Adelaide, I think, have been really, really impressive. And that game against Perth, that second game against Perth, was the best of the lot, in my opinion. Um, not just because she scored, but because she is showing a confidence and a creativity in her gameplay and an understanding with her teammates that I think she hasn't quite shown before to this extent um, and not certainly not under the same kind of pressure or perhaps expectation because I feel like this Adelaide side are actually really good. You know, I, we sort of vaguely gestured towards it in our preview pod, but I actually, now that I'm watching this Adelaide side, I actually think they're, they're a genuine shout for the top four. I think that they can crack their history now. I think that they can finally make finals uh, with this this side because, as we spoke about previously, this is a team like Sydney FC that have had a whole bunch of players in and around the setup for a really long time, and those players are now starting to hit a, a pretty good run of form all at the same time. And because they've been playing together for so long, they have a really good understanding. They've hit the ground running. They've done everything that they've needed to do for this particular season, whether they planned for it or not, given COVID and whatever. You know, that's another question, but. I'm really, really loving what Adelaide are doing. I think all areas of the park they've got covered. They're really exciting in midfield. Um, and Emily Condon, I think, is at the heart of that. And, Sam, the other thing I really liked about Emily Condon was um, she showed some resilience on the weekend because she missed a sitter. Like, she rounded the keeper and put it wide and couldn't believe it. And plenty of players, especially when they're young, that can be the sort of thing that plays on your mind the whole game and, you don't necessarily recover from it and you just look at the whole game as an opportunity missed. Um, But for her to bounce back and score the winner, and it was an absolute bullet header um, in a play set up by the summer of Cote Rojas. Um, I I just thought it was fantastic to see a young player do that. Another thing with Adelaide, um, 
I think it's been really good for them that they got Perth the first couple of games. We talked about Perth obviously having a really disjointed start to pre-season. This isn't to take away from their quality because I think they got better as that game went on. But um, to clearly get a, a Perth team that probably is going to take a while to hit its straps and not only do that but actually get the result, convert, lock in two sets of three points and get some good points on the board early I think is really important for Adelaide because it's something that historically they've not done a huge amount of. So I think that can always give you confidence because, yeah, teams might catch up with easier, in quotation marks, fixtures later on. But if you bank the points, you've got them there. So I think that's a really good thing for Adelaide and it's a base they can build on and you can build confidence. And um, if they can tighten up at the back a bit more, I think, they uh, they probably wouldn't have been too happy with the goal they conceded against Perth. It was a great move from Perth, but a bit sloppy from Adelaide. Um, if they can tighten that up, which they have to against the better teams, then, yeah, they should be right in the mix for the four. It's so wide open now, especially after the Melbourne derby, which we'll talk about in a bit. It's a good thing you mentioned that the top four race is so wide open and that um, those early points, getting those early wins on the board is so important in this particular season because it segues very nicely into chat about a team who has not bagged those three points early on in the season. We need to talk a little bit more about Brisbane Raw. Um, they're just, it's just, just not happening, gals. It's really just not happening. Angela, I know you have a joke, so I would love for you to lead off with the joke because it's, it's low-hanging fruit, but it's very good. Oh, no. Um, I can't believe you're platforming me here with this terrible joke. Brisbane Raw, more like Brisbane Draw. <laughs> anyway, that that's pretty much the whole situation. Four out of four Brisbane Draw. Dear oh dear. Yay. That's that's no Angela. I don't have much more to add there. That's that's the issue. They're just not scoring, right? They got a decent defense, and I think we've talked about this before. But then the problem has deepened because we thought maybe by this point um, they could get a win. I mean, not to disparage Newcastle Jets, but this could—I feel like this could have been their week. It's just not happening. One big positive to come from that game from Brisbane was that Emily Gilnick got on the scoreboard. Um, she'd been very involved. We talked about her in more depth last week. Um, about being involved but maybe not using her best attributes or really backing herself in. She certainly did that and put one away, which was fantastic to see. But we were more excited to talk about the other scorer in this game, uh, Tara Andrews from Newcastle. You may ask why we want to talk about Tara Andrews. Well, it's because we just think she's neat. (laughs) Sam, can you elaborate on why we think Tara Andrews is fantastic? Tara Andrews has been fantastic for a long time. And I feel like the reason that we haven't talked about Tara Andrews enough is because we've had so many other spectacular strikers in the W League for the last couple of seasons. But Andrews has just been so consistent. And she's been around for such a long time, performing at this level, scoring goals the way that she has so, so regularly. I am actually starting to wonder whether she is going to be in the race for the golden boot now. You know, she is, if she continues in at the rate that she is scoring a goal a game, she could really be up there in and around Michelle Heyman quite soon. Um, but Tara Andrews is fantastic and she is 
a really untraditional kind of Australian striker. You know, we I think we tend to sort of lump a lot of strikers alongside Sam Kerr and say this is the ideal. But Tara Andrews, I think, has become a much more sort of classic striker in the sense that she's not specially quick, but she her hold-up play is beautiful. She's strong on the ball. Technically, she's very gifted. She reads the play beautifully, and she's excellent in the air. So she is sort of like Michelle Heyman in a lot of ways. Um, it's just that she doesn't have the hype that Michelle Heyman has got, all the Matildas caps that Michelle Heyman has got, and perhaps that has been to Australia's detriment over the years. But one of the things that I really loved learning uh, recently was that apparently Sydney FC have been trying to sign Tara Andrews for the last two seasons, but she has wanted to stay with Newcastle because she loves the club, she loves the players. Um, she, her whole life is up there, of course, as well. And I, I just love that. I love that commitment from a player, a player who will probably would probably earn much more money going elsewhere because she is extremely talented. But she wants to stay there and she wants to help build the club and build the team and continue to bring through younger teammates. I think that that's really admirable. And I hope Tara Andrews continues to fly this season and, and that more people start to appreciate it because she's fantastic. She's been around for ages and... I think people forget she's only 26, turning 27. So this when she is when she should be scoring lots of goals. Let's be honest. Like, I'm not sure what Tara Andrews' aspirations are, but if she wants to push again for national team fold, at 26, 27, you should be well and truly hitting your straps, scoring goals, making an impact. Um, and it's probably, a, I guess, a similar conversation to what we had about Michelle Heyman um, a few weeks back, albeit with obviously like uh, about – eight years between them age-wise. Newcastle, I think, were really impressive against Brisbane. Mm. I, I think that, again, like Adelaide, I think this is a really good season for Newcastle. I think their team is looking really good. Um, Brisbane obviously underperformed. They have the kind of squad on paper that should absolutely be steamrolling most teams in the league. Um, but I think Newcastle were really well worth that draw. And... A, a big part of that, I think, has to do with their midfield. I think I, I tweeted vaguely about this um, after the game. I think the combination that Ash, Ash Wilson has has made in that midfield with Alicia Bass and bringing in Cassidy Davis, I think, was a masterstroke. Um, and Rihanna Policina, the young player from RPR, who you could tell has experience in futsal because her footwork is just amazing. Her ball control is sensational. It's so, so exciting. It brings a, a completely different dynamic to that midfield. Um, and with when you've got someone like Tara Andrews up top as well and you've got a fairly experienced back line and Claire Coelho, who, uh, you know, is is a, a really good goalkeeper as well. I think she's quite solid um, and has made a really a bunch of really important saves so far. You know, that's a really good side. And that performance against Brisbane, you saw at the end of the game the players were absolutely gassed because they ran their lungs out. But it was, like, it was amazing. That's the kind of stuff that you want to see, you know. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to sort of address that comment from Angela earlier. Like, I think Newcastle are actually well worth that point. Um, but on a serious note, Brisbane, we talk about underachieving, not clicking. At what point? Do we say this is just what this team is? Like we're four, so we're four games in, right? We're a third of the way through their season. They've still got time to write this, but surely at some point, if it doesn't click, you have to start having serious doubts over them. I know it's early days, but you can't be unlucky and not have things go your way every week. At some point, it's you know the table will actually reflect where you sit and who you are. So it's just 
something, I guess, for us to ponder these next couple of weeks. They get a chance to write that when they host Melbourne Victory this week. But if they don't get three points, it's looking pretty difficult for them, I reckon. We talked about this with, with the Emily Gilnick chat last week, right? Like perhaps because Brisbane do have the largest number of Matildas, senior Matildas, they have the most international caps, I'm pretty sure, of any of the teams in the league, that there is this feeling of pressure, this this expectation that they do need to perform. And we, this podcast, and me and you, Harrow, we've all been part of building this pressure and this expectation in preseason as well in our previews. Because we look at that squad on paper and we say, oh, my God, look at these huge names. Of course they're going to do well. That all feeds into how these players see themselves, how they see themselves needing to perform to live up to these expectations. Um, and, you know, Emily Gilnick, I think, is a really a really fitting sort of metaphor for the entirety of Brisbane season in that regard because it just feels like they're trying to live up to their names uh, a bit too much without actually just being who they are. Sorry, Sam. I was just reminded then of those, like, just be yourself because everyone else is taken. <laughs> like, not me. <laughs> you know, like the Kmart photo frames. <laughs> Maybe we should send them one of those. Live, laugh, love, draw. <laughs> oh, no. But, yeah, no, Brisbane are going to have to do something because as it stands, they're in fifth on the ladder and right up behind them is Melbourne City, who we now know can produce quite an epic performance uh, as evidenced on the weekend with their derby win. Harrow, what did you uh, at the game for AAP? What did you make of it? Well, last week we, I think, pretty justifiably went hard on Rado Vinicic and City for that 6-0 performance. You couldn't not slam them. Um, but I thought this was a fantastic coaching performance from Rado Vinicic and a fantastic turnaround from Melbourne City. I thought they were structured up better. To give context, they won the game 3-2. They scored the first two goals um, and then Melbourne victory got two back before Melbourne City scored the winner via... Harry with us in the 86th minute. That's the short version. Uh, City set up really well. Um, Vidicic backed in Alex Chidiak to start. He also recalled Riley Dobson to the starting lineup. And um, I thought both of those changes were really important. For one thing, Chidiak coming in meant Chinatsu Kira was pushed into effectively a nine to false nine sort of role, depending on how they were structuring up at different times. Thought it gave him a lot more structure and it paid off because. Kira was involved in both of their first two goals. Um, she sort of scrambled the ball forward for Chidiak to score the opener and then it was her cross that forced Claudia Bunge to cut the ball into her own net for the um, for the second goal. They really put the clamps on players like Kyra Cooney-Cross. Uh, they were obviously benefited by the fact – they obviously benefited from the fact that Lisa Devanna had a hamstring twinge and didn't play. Um she was obviously lethal against them in the first week, but I just thought they were a lot smarter. Vidisic really um, talked about how he just needed more belief, better work ethic, more aggression, like those sort of non-negotiables in football. Um, and I thought all of those things were there. But I also thought the way they structured up, they really managed to tighten things up on the wing and they got a lot of joy out of their wide players as well, um, with us in particular. And it's probably lowered Angie Beard's colours a little bit in terms of a really, really good defender, a really good fullback who's had to probably, yeah, had her colours lowered a bit. Riley Dobson got the better of 
Polly Doran, who got hooked at um, halftime. And, yeah, it was it was a really well-structured performance. Um, to Melbourne Victory's credit, they came back. Two sensational goals. Mindy Barbieri, who came in for Devanna, um, really tested Tegan Michael with a free kick and then put an absolutely unstoppable one in. And then Catherine Zimmerman, um, who just seems to be growing into the W League, uh, unleashed another fantastic goal where she sort of chested down an aerial ball, spun on it and just whipped it into the top corner. Um, media had a great view from behind Barbieri and Zimmerman for both those goals. So the, but at the end of the day, both teams went for it at the end. Um, that was something I really liked. Neither team sat back and tried to hold on for a point. They both went for the win. And it was City who paid off on the counter. And it was great to see Withers get a goal because she missed a couple of chances earlier and probably if she'd had a bit more composure, would have scored earlier in the game, but deserved it. It was a deserved three points. I think you could have easily seen it go a draw. It could have easily gone any way, but to be honest, City really deserved the, the three points. And Tegan Michael was fantastic as well in goal. She made so many amazing saves. Um, but yeah, absolute belter of a game. Check out the highlights if you haven't, but... A real, I think it was a real credit to Rado Vidasic and his team to not only turn around the game and get like an honourable result, but to properly turn the tables. Um, and I think he outcoached Jeff Hopkins in this game. Uh, just fantastic. And I think full credit to them all because you could so easily go into your shells after a performance like the previous week, but they didn't. They turned it on and they, they got what they deserved. I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, Rado Vidisic also made a bit of a tweak to the back line of Melbourne City by mm. bringing Jenna McCormick into the centre instead of playing her on the right of the back three. And I feel like that really changed things for them because Jenna is a really solid centre-back. She's really commanding. She sees the whole field. She makes the right decisions most of the time. And I feel like having her there provided not just a sort of a solid technical foundation or physical foundation, but a solid foundation of confidence for the rest of the field. Because Jenna being there all the time is terrifying for a striker. She's huge. You don't want Jenna McCormick running at you when you're in a 50-50 situation with the ball in the air, you know. And she won those balls almost every single time. Whenever the ball was lumped upfield, Jenna McCormick was there to clear it up. And so that, I think, instills the rest of your team with a lot of confidence, particularly your midfielders, who are have obviously having a, a serious job on their hands with people like Cara Cooney-Cross needing to try and rein them in. But having someone there like Jenna who has that experience and who in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes really shows that and proves that she is there and can be relied upon, I feel like that gave the rest of the squad quite a lot of confidence for the rest of the game. Other note on Jenna McCormick was she um, actually got forced from the field in the second half. Apparently she'd copped an elbow uh, last weekend and been fine. Um, I think it was last weekend. And then she was obviously bandaged up for the game and then I think must have copped another knock because she was apparently feeling a bit dizzy and obviously with the concussion protocols they've yanked her from the game. But Melbourne City, how's the timing? Had Emma Checker return, which is fantastic. Emma Checker's a wonderful person and... I think a really exciting defender, and I actually thought she slotted in really well considering she's not played. Um, Rado post-match said that um, despite having her injury, she's been able to do a lot of the fitness stuff, so she's as fit as anyone there, and she's always her athleticism's always been a strength. But I thought she looked really composed um, considering she was very much the junior member of that Melbourne City backline in the championship team. 
I actually thought she looked like the player that was picking out the right passes and added a little bit of class when she came on, which is really good for a player who's missed a lot of football and for whom I, I think composure hasn't necessarily always been a strength. Um, so I thought that was a really promising start. And Vinicic actually said when they play Adelaide this week, Emma Checker will start. So one thing with Melbourne City is they've acknowledged that these players, they're only going to have 12 games at most to make it count. So they want to get these players, get the minutes, get the miles ticking over in the legs, um, which is something Alex Chidiak and they didn't expect would play the full game, but push through. Um, Checker will probably get more game time as you go. Um, the signing Nurekov, um won't play against Adelaide because um, she'll have got out of quarantine, I think, the day before, but she'll come in and should have an impact. But, yeah, it was um, – there were some really good tweaks to them and, to be honest, it took two really, really good victory goals to get them back on level peg. They probably could have also stolen the three points, but for a couple of missed chances, Melina Reyes heading it into the post for one and they could have snared a point late, um, but Natalie Martin, who just couldn't get that shot quite on target, and Emma Checker cleared it away anyway. So. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit to digest in that game. <laughs> Angela? You can probably see how I felt about the game because there's that beautiful reaction of me on the hill. I, I would just like to <laughs> note that Marissa, it was Marissa's decision. So actually, the game, the atmosphere at the ground was awesome up until a point, which we will get to. But um, yeah, we got there like bang on time, me and friend of the pod, Tom and the line was like stretched further than I've ever seen it at Epping um and yeah took a little while to get in and then we met Marissa and she was like I'm at the Olympico end and so (laughs) that's what it's now known as um and that was a good choice because we got to see four out of five of those goals um I couldn't I can't really tell you much about the other end at any point but yep Great spot to sit if you're ever at Epping Harvest Home Road. The Olympico end, it's um iconic. It's a thing. People know. People know. If you know, you know. But um no, I think it's relevant that we do mention the Olympico end because uh it was the scene of the the biggest, unfortunately, talking point of the match. Um we, we haven't forgotten it. We haven't ignored it. We thought we should give the actual game the uh, dissection and discussion it deserved before we cracked into what what you're all expecting from us. So we, we've all laced up. It's, it's time for the boots. So if you have no idea what we're talking about, Anna's about to give you the play-by-play in, the, in what has gone down. Boy, you're in for, a, for an experience. Yeah, we wanted to make you listen to all our other football f- thoughts first because all the games deserved it and all the players deserved their recognition and analysis um, ahead of who's about to get the boot. So, as mentioned before, there were clearly two derby games in a row. Last week's derby, um, some of the A-League, uh, clearly A-League active support had along. They were pretty boisterous, pretty loud. Um, but as far as things went, relatively without incident, I think, that wasn't the case this week. So Melbourne City took the lead, as we mentioned before, in the 86th minute of this game through Harriet Withers. And in sort of the 89th, 90th minute, um, there's a goal kick and Tegan Michael, the City and Matilda's goalkeeper, is in front of the Olympico end. 
um, which is where these these Melbourne Victory active sport, not to be confused with the Victory Vikings, who are a specific W League supporter group. Um, the Victory, I guess the A-League active support was to the side of the goal. And Tegan Micah, I reckon there's a little bit of time wasting happening. Like she's taken her time to get this ball back into play. And this crowd has taken it far too personally and started heckling and abusing. And I get the impression there was a fair bit of abuse directed towards Micah throughout that whole second half with the game getting pretty heated. but. A line got crossed. There was abuse and then a bottle was hurled on the field. Other objects were hurled on the field. Not just hurled on the field, actually. Hurled in the direction of Tegan Micah. Um, And one of them was a glass bottle. I'm still not sure how a glass bottle's managed to get in. But at this point, and a full credit here to referee Danielle Anderson, Tegan Micah's gone, no, no, they've they've thrown stuff. Like she's picked up this glass bottle and a couple of other things, thrown them to the side. Referee Danielle Anderson's come over and, to her credit, sent the rest of the players off for the drinks break. Um, spoken to Tegan Micah uh, once the crowd's calmed down. And play actually got stopped for quite a few minutes as they tried to settle this all out. I believe they kicked someone out who threw a bottle. Um, but it took quite a long time to to settle things down. Like Emma Checker, the city captain, came over. Angie Beard, the Melbourne Victory captain, had to come over and tell... I guess, effectively her own fans to cool off. Um, And it was just really, really distasteful and, to be honest, disgraceful scenes. Um, The W League is such a, as we know, welcoming, safe, friendly environment for any supporters that want to be there. And to have that come to the fore, we love chanting, we love noise, we love supporters, but it got ugly and... To, I guess, look at the responses from a few of the people involved on the day, just to give some context. Nobody was happy with it from either side. Um, so immediately after the game with the press conferences, Jeff Hopkins slammed the behaviour as unacceptable, um, said hopefully we'll deal with it as a club and make sure that doesn't happen again because it's not a good look at all. Just said it's not what we want to see, not at the W League, not at any game. Don't want to see... That happened to players. Tegan Micah, of course, is also a former victory player. She was in their squad last season. So a lot of the victory players would be close to her, would know her, um, would have been devastated with what they saw. Rado Vidasic um, was also fantastic. Um, he basically said, come here, support your team. That's brilliant. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit. But to throw things at a goalkeeper, a female goalkeeper, and she's a Matilda, um, it's not the right – I don't think it's the right way of dealing with the situation – said that uh, Tegan Michael's okay, a little bit shaken. When someone starts throwing bottles at you, obviously it's not nice. And he also made the point uh, this game's televised to America, to China and to some other countries, and for that to be seen overseas, it just doesn't paint a good picture. He also lauded the work of referee Daniel Anderson, who it was her first game as the lead referee, first W League game as lead referee, so it's certainly one she's going to remember, just for the way she really acted so swiftly to sort out the situation. Um. We had more and more come through from the PFA who obviously also condemned the incident, said the players, like all workers, have a basic right to safely undertake their profession. This is PFA co-chief Kate Gill. Clearly today that was not the case and we are relieved no one was injured and they were welcoming a uh, full investigation into that. And I think just to sum it up, Tegan Micah herself, um, who was obviously quite shaken 
took to social media to post a statement and I'll just grab a bit of that there where she said the behaviour of the fans at the match was not acceptable. I'm all for supporting football in the women's game. However, it is simply unacceptable to have glass bottles thrown at me. The ground officials and security must do better to protect us. Reports will be filed. Something has to be done before a player is seriously harmed. So this is an incident that's totally overshadowed what was a brilliant game. It's taken away from the spirit of the day. It's left everyone that was at the game or watching on TV or was caught up from afar, I think, finishing the day really flat and with a really sour taste in their mouth. And I really felt for the different fan groups. I felt for the players on both sides. And I especially felt for Tegan Micah, who was just trying to do her job and did a fantastic job, let's not forget. She was absolutely superb in goals in a derby um, and effectively has had her day that should have been, you know, just one, just a standard work day, but two, should have probably been special because, you know, she's put on a really good performance in a in a great win, ruined by people that have done something they shouldn't do, which is intimidate and, yeah, which is intimidate a player in their place of work and... Yeah, I'll, I'll throw it over to you now, Sam, because I think you wrote a couple of pieces about this today. Harry, you summed it up really well there. That was the sort of the black and white of it. But, you know, I think it's worth sort of discussing this a little bit more. Um, setting aside, you know, the horrific possibility that Micah could have been hit by a glass bottle and seriously injured on the field, The question that this whole thing raises for me is when we talk about attracting mainstream fans to the W League, when we talk about attracting fans of the A League to the W League, what exactly does that bring with it? We saw almost two versions of that on Sunday. For most of the game, the men's active fans behind the goal, and we know that they were men's active fans because they were wearing T-shirts that connected them to an A League fan group. They looked and sounded amazing. They were chanting and clapping and getting the crowd amped up and inspiring the players. The scenes when Melbourne Victory scored their two goals were fantastic. That sort of active support is brilliant. You know, it it made an already buzzing atmosphere at the ground even better. It looked and sounded sensational on TV. So when we talk about wanting more active men's fans involved in the women's game, that's what we mean. What we don't mean is what happened at the end. What we don't mean is the aggression, the macho posturing, the belittlement and the overall dangerous behaviour that that bottle throw really signified, I think. We don't mean the culture that has normalised throwing objects at other people in their workplace, particularly not in a situation like this. We don't want it for them. We don't want it for the other fans in the stadium who felt uncomfortable and unsafe as a result. And we don't want it for the casual fans watching on TV. This was the ABC game. This was the free-to-air game. This was us advertising ourselves to the world. And they saw a bunch of fuckwits confirming all of the awful stereotypes about Australian soccer fans. The same stereotypes that fans and fan culture more broadly then has to suffer from even further because of over-policing. This is the sort of shit that it leads to. And that leads in its own way to the disbanding of active groups 
who are the heartbeat and the soundscape of the game here. So this all folds into the, the ecosystem of Australian soccer. When an incident like this happens, it affects everybody. These are the kinds of behaviours that have been incubated in a male-dominated fan culture that equates violence and aggression with support for a team, as though if you're not hard enough, you don't care enough. It's already incredibly fucking toxic within the men's game, and I, for one, don't want it polluting the kind of culture that we've built in the women's game despite that, a culture that, as Harrow said, is inclusive, it's welcoming, and it's safe for everybody. I feel particularly bad for Victory Vikings, who are absolutely amazing and have been lumped into this whole mess unnecessarily by people who perhaps don't know the landscape or the difference between those two active groups. But their efforts on Sunday, they were set up down the same end of the ground. Their banners were there on the fences and their efforts were completely undermined by what these blokes did. So if bringing more male fans into women's football means bringing the kind of culture and attitudes and behaviours that makes men's football fan culture so unwelcoming and so unappealing for so many people who don't fit the kind of fucking hard lad sort of mould, his support for a team is only as good as how well you can fucking insult the opposition or make them fear for their safety, then I don't want a single fucking one of them near us ever again. Big old boot from me. Yeah, fucking spot on, Sam. Like some of the responses I've seen, the the wide majority of responses have been condemning this behaviour, but I've seen a few along the lines of, um, oh, but, you know, I'd, I'd rather have the odd incident than have a sterile atmosphere. Get fucked. The WE's got a fantastic atmosphere. It's got its own atmosphere. The default shouldn't be what happens in the men because not every male football game has a fantastic atmosphere. Give me a spell. We don't have to have abuse and yelling. If you want to chant for the team all game, fantastic. You're so creative when it comes to chants about your male players. If you want to commit to the W League, maybe learn one about Angie Beard or about um, Amy Jackson who's played more than 100 W League games or, you know, other players. You can be creative. What being an active supporter doesn't mean, and I think a lot of these over these, – these guys that are, just seem to be overloaded with testosterone and anger and a need to prove how masculine they are don't realise this. And it's something that's come up in the cricket as well over these past couple of weeks. Having a ticket to a sports event doesn't actually give you the right to abuse and yell at players. I, I don't know why people have this in their head of I pay and I want to support and therefore I can fucking go after Tegan Micah because she was in Melbourne Melbourne Victory squad last year and she's playing for Melbourne City. Give me a spell. As if you ever paid any attention to Tegan Micah's brief stint at Melbourne Victory. Like, this stuff doesn't need to happen. It doesn't need to come into it. It's... It's just really ugly. Um, I saw in the replies to my tweets about it, I saw someone say it was the first time they'd ever not wanted their daughter there at a WE game, and that's heartbreaking. It really is. It's it's devastating um, because people from so many different communities, young, old, male, female, have been able to feel safe and welcome at WE games. 
and enjoy the game. And active support is great, and we've seen how well it can be done. We were all at the Women's World Cup where the Dutch supporters absolutely helped carry their team to the final. They weren't singing derogatory chants about their opponents. Well, at least I don't think they were because it was in Dutch. You know, I don't want to make any assumptions, but I'm pretty sure that was all about supporting their team. And honestly, Sam, you're spot on. Like, if you can't be a part of it and you can't be welcoming, then should you really be there at all? The other thing I'll be curious to see is if all these supporters make sure they come back for games against Canberra, against Newcastle, and they can play them, you know, because... It's all well and good rocking up for derbies or for for games against Sydney FC, but you've got to show that you are doing more than posturing, that you're supporting, that you care, that you're invested every week. And unfortunately, that behaviour just wasn't the case. And another thing that frustrated me was people saying the the one bag, bad egg line about someone throwing a bottle because clearly that person felt enabled to do that. They Their behaviour was totally enabled by the actions around them. And yeah, a lot of the chanting was great, but there was clearly some abusive and pretty off chants happening at intervals as well from that group. I just found it, yeah, as I said before, really disconcerting. It was embarrassing for those involved and I just felt for the players. Uh, and Jeff Hopkins actually made, and it's not as important a point as the other things, but by those victory fans doing that, they actually had the game stop and that worked in City's favour as well. They were able to take a break and stop and then slow the game down again when victory were pressing for an equaliser. So it's not about your loyalty and your passion and your fandom at all. It's just about you. And, yeah, it was just bootworthy. That's the best way of putting it. Yeah, and last week I we, they were at the... Um... Faulkner derby as well and I should flag I don't go to a whole bunch of A-League games I don't really know the landscape of active support um sort of know the I guess the contours of the different details there but I wondered I, I was watching them last week and wondering if my discomfort at some of the things that they were saying or the way that they were acting was on me if that makes sense because it I was like, maybe I'm just missing something here or sort of buying into that, like maybe this is what real football support is. I don't know, Um, which is stupid because I follow women's football and that's just as valid. And the like support that I've seen in the women's game is just as valid. So anyway, and they got a sort of (laughs) tentative boot um, that Marissa had to cut because we do love a hefty boot and we did quite a bit of that last week and it was a tentative sort of thing but it is that sort of idea that I guess last week that something could happen and that's the sort of conversation around safety and I think masculinity as well that comes into this because as you said Haro like these particular groups are only showing up for certain games um, that tie in with a lot of the narratives that are already built in the men's game and they're building on that to, you know, prove something about themselves and they func- it sort of functions as a group. So it might be the one bad egg thing, but when you're sitting near a group of young men who are yelling aggressively, you're just sitting there thinking, God, I hope this situation doesn't get worse. God, I hope that this can be calmed down because from where I was sitting on the weekend, I've never seen a situation quite like that at a women's game. Um, And (laughs) it's worth noting that so um, one of the security guards went off and I think brought in another one who 
um, was more qualified to deal with the situation. And basically he responded by speaking in a language that they would understand um, and just blew up at them. And while that might not be the most, um, I don't know, in terms of like mediation tactics, I think it did sort of work in the sense that then someone was escorted off and props to that guy props to that guy because I think it was one of those things where they weren't just they just weren't listening they didn't care that Sam Johnson was like what's your deal they didn't care that Tegan Michael was like what are you doing didn't care that their own captain um was like guys stop it you know what I mean um and he had a very strong Scottish accent so he went full Malcolm Tucker it was brilliant anyway um and he basically said what a lot of us were feeling I think as well about the whole situation like why are you guys being so thick right now but yeah it, it that situation of safety yeah nothing happened to me and no one got hurt but the being on the precipice of that could happen and if you're a bystander you don't want to intervene like someone like me I'm not going to intervene and I was speaking with Tom about this and he's like yeah like it's even worse potentially if you're a guy and you try and go in and be like hey calm down because the mob mentality of someone potentially turning on you and then that situation getting escalating. It puts you in a really, really tough position. Props to, yeah, basically, yeah, the referee, Danielle, and um, everyone else who dealt with the situation, I think it was handled quite well but does bring in a lot of questions, I think, because we've had this wonderful safe environment. Now we're going to have to reconsider how things are done at the W League or there are going to have to be questions asked about the security at these games and... Um, which sucks, but it is necessary, unfortunately, and it's sad that it's reached a point where that's had to happen. But um, I can do an impression of the security guard. <laughs> Please do. Uh, even, okay, hang on. One quote that did stand out, and also, Sam, I know you've been asking what sort of stuff we heard. I think from the position where we were at the hill, we could hear a lot of noise. Um, so I only got bits and pieces of when he was responding as well, I couldn't always hear clearly what they were saying. But one of the things that did stand out was like him going, fuck me. And I don't care if you go home and tell your parents I'm a cunt. It was brilliant. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And that will always be in my mind. Thank you to that security guard. Sometimes you can't cry. You got to laugh at that. Anyway. I think you do raise a valid point, though, Angela, um, and fantastic uh, imitation, just, just spot-on stuff, really, um, of how security is handled going forward because I think it, I'm no expert in the field, but I think there clearly needed to be more of a presence. And I know we talk about knowing to over-police active areas, but I felt like there needed to be more of a presence because it was quite tense, especially in the second half, once it gets back to two-all and it's getting a bit rowdy and... Tegan Micah and the city defence have got these guys at their backs the whole time. I don't know if it was just that it's a, oh, it's the W League, it's not going to kick off, there's not going to be, I don't know if it was a level of naivety or if um, people thought it was under control, but it escalated, like, and clearly you guys have pointed out from the Hill, there was some of this talk and this sort of boisterous and beyond boisterous, I guess, behaviour going on all day. Um I think it probably needed to to be addressed earlier to stop it getting to the point where Tegan Michael was clearly getting a lot of abuse and then obviously we end up with the the bottle throwing. Um, something to probably work in maybe just before what we were talking about with with Angela with the 
the fan cultures. One thing that really stood out to me in terms of some of these guys being A-League fans that have, I guess, appropriated the W-League for their own active support measures was them pulling out that Melbourne victory chant that they direct at Melbourne City in the A-League of, you're shit when you're red, you're shit when you're blue, fuck off heart, and fuck City too. Melbourne Heart never had a W-League team. There was never a Melbourne Heart W-League team. You're just showing your ignorance. Like, I, I heard it multiple times in the game, and I was like, no, you're wrong. Like, this is never a thing. Yeah, I've seen Melbourne City W-League wear red and white, but they certainly weren't shit. They were winning championships. Like, Melbourne Heart never had a W-League team. If you're going to be active support and you're going to take over and be like, no, no, we don't need to work with this other active support group because we're great and we're awesome active support and the W-League's better with us, maybe come up with some original chants. Bring something. Learn about the players. Do chance about the players. Melina Rares celebrated with you last week. Maybe focus on her. Get a chance for her going. Like, if you want to be recognised and maybe have people in your corner every now and then, and they're not going to have any after the what happened in that game, bring something new. Like, show your investment. Show that it's about this team and the club, not just about you, as we said before, posturing to want to get, I don't know, kudos in the active support world they also um i had to double check this with marissa i was like did they just say boys in blue and marissa's like "Mm, yeah (laughs) (laughs) yep couldn't even be bothered to change (laughs) to the con like just the broader context of being a women's football not men's football anyway i wanted to quickly mention one thing as well um, just to highlight something Angela said earlier which is about the idea of different kinds of support being valid and invalid mm. I think that this 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 game and this moment really throws into sharp relief the idea that there are different ways in which you can support a team and just because W League support doesn't look like A League support doesn't mean it's any less valuable. It doesn't mean it's any less valid, less legitimate, and it doesn't mean it's any less appreciated by the players. They love active support. Talk to any of them. They adore having people there. Talk to anybody who's involved in any of the other women's specific fan groups, people from the Raw Corps, people from the Jets Active. Like they're small groups, but they contribute in such a positive way to not just the fan experience at stadiums and on broadcast games, but to the players on the field. They appreciate having people there who spur them on in positive ways. You know, I I can't imagine that any of the victory players in Sunday's game appreciated any of the chants that those guys were hurling at their opposition because they were mean-spirited, they were belittling, they were insulting you know, that sort of stuff. I don't even think that that's legitimate in the A-League. I don't even think that that's valuable in men's football, honestly. I think that it's it's pathetic. If that's the only way in which you feel like you can support your team, I think you need to get more creative um, because it's just regardless of sport, you know, like it just like punching down, putting people mm. down. Like I just, I just don't get it. It's so... And I'm this thing we have is so precious, you know, and leading into 2023, this league matters more than ever. 
we need this league to thrive and this league thriving counts on fans as much as it does on the players. And an incident like this really throws a spanner in all of that. It's such a bad look. It makes everybody feel terrible. And it's it's just, you know, I'm just sort of lost for words. I, I, I almost feel like I'm getting really emotional about it because, you know, the W League and its community has been built in the shadow of people like this. These are the kinds of people who have ignored women in football for the vast majority of its existence. And now they're swooping in and trying to, as Harrow said, appropriate it, trying to claim it, trying to come in and act like it's yours. That entitlement is so infuriating. And for people who have turned out, fans, women's fans who have turned out week after week after week, who've put in hours of work coming up with chants for players, coming up with songs, painting banners, doing all the stuff that you do for the W League. They com- they feel completely invalidated by moves like this. So, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have a conclusion to that. Um it's just it's awful and it's it's really disappointing and I hope I really hope that Melbourne Victory come out soon to condemn it because they haven't done it so far. It's half past 11 on Monday night and they haven't made a statement yet. And I think that's appalling. And yeah, that lack of, yeah, because at the centre of it, it's just like a selfishness and that entitlement that, well, we want to be there. Don't you want us there? Or you don't Mm. want us there because, you know, like we get to set the rules. Um, And I think that that was (laughs) really um, epitomised at the end of the game. They'd all left really quickly and Victory Vikings still had their flags up on the railings and were taking them down their um, big blue flag and the rainbow flag. And then just like behind that in the foreground is just all this trash that they've left. They didn't even clean up after themselves. No, that really, yeah. And it, the, the hill was left in a state. I know that sounds real grabbing pearls at this point, but I think it sort of, I don't know, it was a really sad thing to see for me. Also, like, this one bad egg idea of, you know, oh, it's only certain people that give us a bad name, call it out. Like if someone next to you is being a fuckwit, you can call it out. And that's what's so embarrassing. They, you know, they talk about, you know, we, you know, we're big, it's the, it's the real big strong men. You can't tell us what to do. We support our team this way and that's how we like to support our team. And it's like, it's embarrassing though. You're your mate next to you is harassing a 23-year-old goalkeeper? Like, how do you not see this as an issue? You're using chants that have got, at times, derogatory language. Uh, you don't actually have to... They talk about, oh, people are sheep and go along with the crowd. This is the biggest, biggest example of being a sheep, going along with this sort of stuff. Like, feeling like this is what you have to do and this is how to be a real supporter. Lads. W League's existed for a long time before you can exist for a long time without you. I think the players loved having extra support those two games. And I'm sure there were plenty there that did want to make some noise and have a good time. But if you're going to want to take credit for all, for the good things you do in terms of noise and, you know, extra vibe or whatever, you have to stand up and take it when you, when you stuff up, when you fuck up. You've got to take some accountability for what's happened. And yeah, it's really it is really disappointing. And 
I'm sure there will be, Tegan Micah said she's filed a report. Um, so that means there'll be an investigation. The PFA said as much. And I'm sure there'll be stuff that comes out of that um, to make sure I think the situation like this never happens again because it can't happen again. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just really disappointing. Um, I thought it would be fantastic to have more and more um, men's active support get around the W League. Um, as someone that's been in, you know, when I was younger and Sam has been inside active supporter groups like in the area, getting involved in active support before, it can be fantastic. And there can be so many positives um, and to have men's fans want to get around the W League is fantastic, but they've actually got to support it, not set it back. And unfortunately, I think we can all agree what happened the other day set back the active support cause in women's football. So, yeah, as Sam said, at this stage there have been there's been no formal recognition of what happened from Victory, who I think really need to say something. So I hope that by the time this pod comes out, this sentence is completely redundant. But um, I really hope we never have to speak about something like this ever again. Um, so I think, yeah, we really, now more than ever, we really need to jump into some how goods. So Angela, would you like to kick us off with a how good? I don't, I don't know who Morris is. I wanted to find out who Morris is, but I don't know who Morris is, the Adelaide dog. Um, let me find him. It was just a photo that Adelaide posted, and this dog was absolutely no thoughts, just vibes on a beach in Adelaide, and it was awesome. How good. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's one of the players' dogs, um, but literally he's just frolicking on this beach, and it's like I want what he has. Oh, he is too having a great time oh how about the one where he's like jumping it's it's just it's so good morris is the only man i trust after this <laughs> speaking of i think that leads nicely into harrow's how good about trust <laughs> yeah there's no better way to betray trust than with a snitch tag which has happened to friend of the pod jeff but you know i don't mind it to be honest so when watching the Melbourne Derby, our friend of the pod, Jeff, or Nice Orange on Twitter, has tweeted, Alex Chidiak moves with all the grace of a malfunctioning animatronic theme park exhibit and yet is deadly at football. It's very pleasing. Oh, mate, Chid has been tagged and <laughs> replied or quote tweeted saying, I'll take this as a compliment and posted with it a gif of the, the dinosaur from Toy Story at Jurassic Park just being like, hey, and it's sensational. Um, so, yeah, Alex Chidiak embracing a bizarre compliment. How good? It was so good. And just <laughs> the phrasing from Jeff, just malfunctioning animatronic theme park exhibit, like the man's a poet. Honestly. He's been to that museum in Canberra, the Dinosaur Museum. That's all of the exhibits. <laughs> but, yes, Sam, how good? So my how good this week is a reconvening of the Teresa Polias Appreciation Society. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Teresa Polias this week, of course, Sydney FC captain, became the first W League player to reach 150 games, which is 
absolutely amazing. We know that Teresa Polias is a fantastic player. She is arguably an even better person. When she was asked about her milestone by the media after the Derby win, she was, as expected, incredibly humble. She said that she was really grateful for the opportunity to be part of such a fantastic club and that she was really grateful to be surrounded by so many wonderful people and wonderful teammates. So a huge shout-out to Teresa Polias and also to Sydney FC generally and the environment and the culture that they've built there. I think given our last conversation, um, it's it's a real sort of polar opposite example. So shout-out to Teresa Polias. 150 games is an extraordinary milestone. How good? How good? Uh, yeah, just... Teresa Polias's longevity, absolutely incredible. How bloody good. Anyway, that's that's been a, a big one from us. Thank you for listening. We hope that, you know, we've given you some food for thought, some laughs and, you know, some otherwise good women's football chat. You can subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that be Apple, Google or Spotify. You can follow us at the Far Post Pod on all social medias. We're still accepting Dub at the Pub submissions for the Far Tote, so make sure you get around that. There's a tweet and an Instagram post if you don't know what we're talking about and you can find out how you can win one of our gorgeous totes from the One Man Merch Machine. But um, until next week, see yous.